Welcome to the Case for Connection podcast, where the case for more human connection is backed by research and unpacked by the best-selling authors of Connectable, how leaders can move teams from isolated to all-in. And now, here are your hosts, introvert Ryan Jenkins and extrovert Stephen Van Cohen. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ryan. This is Steve, and welcome to season one of the Case for Connection, where we are going to do our very best to present a strong case for why you, the listener, and in fact, all of us, should forge more human connection in an often lonely and isolating world. So in today's episode, which is episode one, we'll be unpacking the recent and groundbreaking research on the source of loneliness. We found it. We finally found it, Steve. Are you excited? I mean, we found it by uh, using cocaine, which is an interesting teaser for what's about to come. I am really excited, Ryan, for episode one. We have a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Yeah. And for the listeners real quick, this is how we structure our episodes. We're talking about some research or interesting stories, and then we're going to unpack it. We're going to give you our reaction, and then we're going to give you a response as to what to do with all this information. So let's start with the research. Here we go. I administered cocaine and ended up discovering the source of loneliness. Said no one ever. That's what you'd think, except two MIT neuroscientists, Kay Tai and Jillian Matthews, that they said that because they actually discovered the source of loneliness. By accident in 2012, Matthews and Tai stumbled across the loneliness neurons in the brain while they had been studying how cocaine changes the brain in mice. So before the test, the mice were put through 24 hours of isolation, where the researchers focused on the dopamine neurons in the brain region called the dorsal raphnal nucleus, best known for its link to depression. The researchers identified that the neurons were not responding to the cocaine like they originally hypothesized, but actually to isolation. This is likely not a coincidence as loneliness is a strong risk factor for depression. So Matthews said this, quote, Maybe these neurons are relaying the experience of loneliness. I think this reveals something about how brains may be wired to make us innately social creatures and to protect us from the detrimental effects of loneliness, end quote. When Ty and Matthews stimulated these neurons, the mice were more likely to seek social interaction with other mice. And when the neurons were silenced using a process called optogenetics, a method of controlling a neuron's activity using light and genetic engineering, the animals lost the desire to be social. So the researchers also found through other tests, the mice were more driven by a desire to avoid pain, loneliness, than to generate pleasure, belonging, in their quest for social interaction. Humans' basic biological needs like water, food, sleep, are tracked in the background of our brains by a complex homeostatic system seeking a natural balance. So Ty and Matthews seem to have proven a similar system exists for our social connections. The same thing that drives us to eat and drink is similar to what drives us to connect and converse. Let me say that one more time because it really underpins everything. The same thing that drives us to eat and drink is similar to what drives us to connect and converse. In fact, in 2020, researchers proved just that. After 10 hours of social isolation, human participants reported substantially increased social craving, loneliness, discomfort, and dislike of isolation. They also demonstrated decreased happiness compared with when they started isolation. Acute 
Isolation causes social craving, similar to the way fasting causes hunger. The researchers proved our brains have biological makeups that drive our desire to be one with the pack. Loneliness isn't just a social phenomenon, but a biological requirement. While loneliness is a universal and common condition, the science of loneliness is very new. Due to the subjective nature of loneliness and difficulty in quantifying it, neuroscientists have long avoided it. This makes this makes these recent findings truly groundbreaking. So measuring loneliness in the brain objectively could be the start to better understanding the role loneliness plays in other illnesses such as depression, mental health, addiction, and social anxiety. So there, my friends, is the research. Now I'm turning to my friend Steve for his reaction. I mean, it's, you called it groundbreaking. I think it's, it goes beyond that, right? This is evidence that we need each other. Feeling connected isn't just a nice to have or something we should shoot for. It is a condition of our ability to sustain a successful and healthy life, mm. right? When you said the brain is able to make sure that we eat and drink and sleep, the brain is also making sure that we are able to find a tribe, that we are able to be one with the pack. And I find it to be a really just important discovery that gives a whole new light and importance to why we essentially need each other. Yeah, you know, we were joking about this the other day and we were we were kind of going back and forth. We were like, when was the last time or or, or did we were we ever told that human connection was vital? Never. Like we we know kind of collectively and through culture that like relationships are important and we should seek and maintain them. But I don't think we've ever been told or encouraged that human connection is this pivotal to our well-being. So Ryan, let's talk a little bit more about the science and the evolution because it gives a, a really good, important context to everything we're going to discuss throughout this season. So Ryan, imagine coming face to face with a woolly mammoth. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. You're looking up it's at a, this. It's a mountain this of a beast. 13 foot tall, gigantic uh, mammal that has curved tusks designed to move boulders, right? Yep. So your chances of taking down this woolly mammoth by your lonesome on a scale of one to 10, 10 being I'm going to take care of this animal, no problem. A one being I'm in trouble. How worried are you? Negative two. Negative two. Now, if you want to not only survive, but to eat, and maybe most importantly, to forge yourself a new pair of very fuzzy and comfortable slippers, mm-hmm. were you able to do this by yourself? <laughs> Could you take down this mammal by yourself? Oh yeah, let me just go get my uh, tank that I built by myself uh, in the, no, no, I couldn't, couldn't do it by myself. Yeah. So when we think about the evolution and the advancement of our species, right, we, we aren't very fast. We're not very strong. We can't fly. We don't have natural armor. So we are not able to beat up a bear, out swim a shark, right? Like we're not built to go one-on-one head to head with the predators that exist around us. And many, many, many years ago, before we had advanced weaponry, like it was a different game back then. So how did we become the most dominant species on the planet, knowing that we didn't have the same kind of uh, characteristics and attributes to fight these predators by ourselves? Social collaboration, my friend. Social collaboration. We knew really early on 
that our chances of survival were highly aligned with the ability to be a part of a tribe, mm-hmm. right? Because a tribe is able to work together to take down that woolly mammoth, yeah, right? With the right strategy, with the right weapons, with people looking out for one another, their strength in numbers. And we were able to evolve because of the communities of other humans many, many, many years ago that now allow us to sit where we're sitting right now to record this podcast. Yep. And many, many years ago, our brains essentially realized that, hey, if you're by yourself, you're going to die. <laughs> like your, your, your chance of surviving is very, very limited. So you better go find a group of other people to be a part of. And that is the biological wiring that Ty and Matthews essentially were, were helping to uncover through some of the research yeah. that we need each other. Our brains are pushing us towards each other because we knew so long ago that that was the only way we were going to win out. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, the old phrase, there's safety in numbers, has a lot of weight to it. And perhaps it has newfound weight after unpacking this research. And it's true, right? I mean, back our ancestors, the Rome, the Plains, if you were excluded from that tribe, like you mentioned, survival rates plummeted. And so constantly being a part of that and being a group of people where we could strategize and we could brainstorm, we could pool our resources, we could watch each other's back. That's how we became the dominant species is connecting, aka social collaboration, right? Because yeah, we couldn't beat up a bear and all those things you mentioned. It's so fascinating. It's really literally just communication and connecting and and socializing is what's got us this far. You know, Ryan, one of the most powerful moments of my life came four and a half years ago when my daughter was born. So my first daughter. And when she came out, she came out early and she came out small and my daughter came out not doing so well. In fact, when she came out, nurses immediately rushed her over to a table in order to help her breathe. And my daughter's vitals were low and she was not responding in the right ways. And the decision was made. She had to go to the NICU. But before taking her to the NICU, our doctor said, hey, we got to give a little bit of skin to skin with mom. So let's just put baby on mom for just a second, and then we'll go ahead and rush her upstairs and do what we need to do to hopefully make sure she comes you know, back to life. And what happened? The doctor put my daughter down on my wife, and I kid you not, my daughter, who was seconds old, looked at my wife, took a giant deep breath in, and she just melted into my wife's chest. She turned from bluish purple to pink and bright. And she was totally fine. Yeah. She didn't need to go up to the NICU. She didn't need any other help from the nurses or the doctor. She was completely stabilized. And when I think about this, all she needed was to be close to the most important person in that room, which was my wife. Mm -hmm. Right. And that skin to skin contact is more validation that we need each other. We are meant to connect with one another, and it's moments like that that give you a whole new perspective on what's most important. Yeah, it is. It's so powerful. And there's, I don't think people understand the, the, all the dynamics that go into connection, right? I mean, how we define loneliness is it's the absence of connection. It's not the absence of people, right? It's the absence of, of, of connection, connection to yourself. Right, we we aloneness can be a insurance against loneliness, which is weird, right? Kind of put cocks your head, like what does that mean? Because yeah, if you can connect with yourself and you can fully 
give yourself the margin and you then then you're more capable to then connect with others. So connecting with yourself, connecting with others, like the example of, of your daughter and, and, and your wife, Jen, or connection with work, connection to purpose. Like there's so many connections that we need to be thinking about and we need to be aware of these days because as we'll as we'll cover in future episodes, there's so many things that are derailing these connections that are leaving us more dejected and anxious and ill and <laughs> frustrated. So there's there's a bigger conversation to be had here around connection in general. And when we talk about, you know, our ability to connect and why it's so important, the most famous kind of one-liner that's come out of this conversation about loneliness over the last few years is a is a line that says loneliness is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Right? So that's what the research has found. Yep. That when you're feeling chronically lonely, the impact that that's having on you biologically is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And the reason is because when you are in a state of loneliness, your fight or flight is going off and you're essentially under a high state of stress, mm-hmm. which is causing your body to do all of the things that are harmful. Because when you're in a state of stress, it causes all kinds of impairments. So when we are going to talk about the case for connection, This is an important episode to understand that our survival, our health, our well-being, our productivity, our fulfillment in life all comes back to having really good, meaningful connections in our life. Yeah. It's so powerful. I mean, and you think about so many things that are awry in the world, and I think some of it, so much of it is because people feel detached from something or they feel unheard or unseen, right? And so then it's it's exposing itself or it's presenting itself in a much different way um, or they're lashing out because of that. So, um, you know, we'll talk about some of these different tactics and strategies to, to find more of this, this, uh, this connection in this very lonely and isolating world. One of the things that really I, I found interesting in all this, and we've actually been getting this a lot when we talk to people, you know, like when we talk about, hey, we wrote a book about lessening loneliness, particularly at work, people are like, ah, like, wow. Like they lean into it. Like, oh my gosh, of course. And they're sitting like, well, well, yeah, why haven't we been talking about that? And that's like, why haven't we been talking about this? And I want to get your perspective on why we haven't been talking about this. Um, But it it, it mirrors the research too, right? Like it's taken us this long to even research it. And I think it's just because loneliness has been shrouded in shame for so long. And you know, for, for understandable reasons, right? I mean, if you are experiencing a sense of loneliness, then in your mind, it's like, well, that's because like I'm undesirable or, you know, I don't have any friends and there's something wrong with me. So I'm going to keep that to myself. And so again, one of our goals with the book and, and this podcast is to normalize that and start to turning the tide because newsflash, we're all lonely. <laughs> it's a universal human condition. And guess what? Loneliness is useful. Like it's, just like hunger is useful, right? If you have a hunger pain, it means, hey, you probably need to go find some sustenance, right? Eat something so that you can stay alive. <laughs> the pain of the loneliness that we experience, that's our signal going, hey, go connect with somebody, find a tribe, you know, invest in others, like get connected. So it's, it's a useful thing. And that's why it's stuck around for so long. You know, I think one of the reasons why it's not commonly discussed is because it's such a personalized topic that creates a level of vulnerability that many, I think, just don't know how to lean into. And because it's stigmatized so strongly, people would rather just kind of 
remove themselves and try to mask whatever loneliness or disconnection they're feeling, then bring it up and, you know, potentially be given a black eye mm-hmm. because of the shame that's unfortunately associated with this. But we like to say loneliness is not a black eye. It's a birthmark. Yeah. It is something all of us have, and it just comes in different shapes and different sizes for different people at different times, right? And when we can start to rebrand, so here we go. We're rebranding loneliness from being a shameful, stigmatized feeling to being essentially a cue that we just need to go forward some new connections. And luckily, the research is really clear that we can do that quite easily. And mm-hmm. when we know what to do and how to do it, we can become way more connected with the people around us and with the people we work with. And that's essentially part of the mission for why we're doing what we're doing today. And it's so important. Like I know, I hope it's not like we're trying to oversimplify it because of just like talking about it and normalizing it. It's going to fix the problem. That's a big first step, specifically with loneliness, because if you experience loneliness, you turn inward and then you feel more secluded. And then you like, isolation, it's a downward spiral and you just, you just continue to, you know, uh, sob in your beer and you just, it goes downward and it's really difficult for you to do the exact thing that you need to do, which is reach out and connect with somebody else. So it's really important to talk about it so that people don't feel like they're the only ones feeling lonely and they can take some necessary steps to get connected. But it's also helpful to talk about it. So everyone else knows, Hey, this is a normal thing. That person's looking a little detached today. Like let's do something to bring them back in the tribe so that we can charge the hill together as a unit. And I think there's also this misconceived notion that people who have friends or family can't be lonely. That's not true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll, I'll speak to my own experience. You know, I am very extroverted. I have lots of friends and I'm blessed to have an unbelievable family. And when I was 23, I had to move from my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, population 12 million to a place called Elko, Nevada, population 30,000, tiny, tiny little town. I got hired as a consultant to work for a big mining company out in Nevada. I knew no one. And not only did I not know anyone, I went from a big city cultural environment to a small little town of hunters and fishers and outdoorsmen. That's not my scene, right? You guys can't see me. I'm not a hunter or a fisherman. I can't even talk about it. I don't even know the right words, right? So I'm not out there forging meals on my own. But I went into this environment and I was not worried. I'm like, oh, I got all these friends. Like, I'll make new friends. I'm excited about this new job. It took four months, four months for me to go from the boisterous, extroverted, confident, happy go lucky, optimistic guy that I am to having a hard time getting off the couch on the weekends because every single day I was not feeling connected. Mm-hmm. And even though I had other connections, the daily like gap in my ability to be seen around others and to have yeah. fulfilling relationships with the people I was working with and you know just to like not be by myself all the time it took 4 months so we got to understand too it's not just like uh, a select few people yeah. experience this right this is something that all of us have experienced in some form or fashion at some point in time in our life even as an extrovert, you know, very susceptible to it. And as an introvert myself, there's different, I think there's different levels of, of, of loneliness. And I think where introverts get in trouble is that we just write it off. Like, I, I don't want to do those things or I don't want <laughs> to be connected. Um, 
that's which is trouble. We'll talk about that in future episodes. But extroverts, they fall in the pitfalls of of having too many surface level connections, right? Yeah. Where there's not depth, and we need that depth if we're going to really um, put loneliness at bay. The other interesting thing when it comes to loneliness is there's different levels essentially. Kind of there's this there's this intimate uh, loneliness that could be experienced, right? Where there's close people around you that you don't have a deep connection with. Then there's the relational, so that's kind of a wider circle where it's friends, you know, maybe coworkers, um, and then the collective, like kind of the group, the tr- community that you're in. So there's different experience and layers in which you can feel this this loneliness. And then again, of course, it doesn't have to be with with people. Like you can experience loneliness, like right, moving cities, even though you were attempting to make new friends. Like that separation can cause loneliness. Um, if you feel detached or like you're not. Um, I I have a story where I was at Miami University where I went to school. <laughs> this is so this is such a f- odd story to me. But we were there sitting in the in the computer lab, I think it was called at the time, because computers were so new. <laughs> and you know, they were like, "All right, jump on here, jump on email and sign up for your classes." And everyone was like whizzing away on their laptops, and I was like, "I'm supposed to go where? Do I have email?" Like <laughs> I had no idea what to do. And I remember that I felt I felt like I just sunk into the ground and like I was just completely alone in the world because I had, everyone else around me knew what was going on. I had no idea. And while those people might have been my friends, like because they were doing things that I wasn't extreme loneliness, of course, you know, this can manifest in all kinds of ways. So um, we'll talk at a more of a, of a macro level in the future episodes. But it's it's such an interesting topic as you get in the weeds. Back to the episode in 30 seconds. Want a practical tool to move yourself or your team from isolated to all-in? Then grab a copy of the world's first book to address workplace loneliness, titled Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All-In. Visit ConnectableBook.com. So what's your response following the research and starting to understand kind of what loneliness is doing from a biological standpoint and why, you know, it's so important in general. Well, I think, yeah, now that we know it's, it's in us, it's wired in us, right. That we, it's, it's loneliness. isn't just a social phenomenon. It's a biological requirement. Like now that we can check that box and go, yep, that's true. Now it's time to start normalizing it. Right. Cause now that we know that we all have it, let's start dragging the conversation of loneliness into the light. And I think once we pull it into the light, it's going to, it's going to start to uh, shrivel up and we're going to be able to, it's going to lose its power and its shame when we drag it into the light. And I think there's also this, this phenomenon too of, of when you share something that you're burdened with, in this case, loneliness, right? When you share that, a burden shared is a burden halved. So when I talk openly about it, all of a sudden that burden gets lifted slightly. And then that person then can either assist or lean into you or give you some perspective or they too say, I also struggle with that. Um, and so again, this is idea of openly having conversations about it. Of course, I'm having lots of conversations about loneliness because I wrote a book about it. I'm telling everybody about it. Um, and, and so it's really been easy for me to have conversations around loneliness. And I know you, you can relate to this. It, everyone leans in. As soon as I say the word loneliness, people stop and they go, I haven't talked about that. Like we're not talking about it, but I have a story about loneliness. I feel lonely or I know someone that's lonely. My team's lonely. Like everyone has an experience and they stop and they lean into that topic because we're not talking about it. Everyone needs to start talking about it. Agreed. My response, Ryan, is if you're feeling lonely, good news, it means your brain works. 
right? Like that's the way that I've been thinking about this lately. And you know, if you're feeling lonely, you are not alone. Our research has proved that uh, a lot of the people going into the work, regardless of what they do or where they live or how old they are, right? Wherever the demographic is, it does not matter. Loneliness is an equal opportunity employer, right? Like loneliness is something that does not discriminate. It impacts everyone. So, you know, good news, your brain works. Congratulations. And as we get into this season, and as we really start to get into these episodes, we are going to arm you with all kinds of different amazing strategies and easy to do simple things that we take for granted that actually moves the needle exponentially when it comes to loneliness. So we're excited to dive into all of that. Well, I have been enjoying connecting with you, my friend, on episode one. We got a fun season ahead. I can't wait to share it with the world. So the the case for connection simply is what Steve said, right? If you're lonely, you're not alone. And it is biologically wired in us to connect. So we need to prioritize that, find ways to do it, and continue listening to this podcast, of course. So that's it for this this episode of the Case for Connection podcast. Lots of really tremendous content and conversation coming your way. And we want to hear from you. So we uh, want to hear from you at thecaseforconnectionpodcast.com. Tell us your ideas. Just say hello. Give us some guest ideas. We're not having guests for season one, but maybe for season two. So visit thecaseforconnectionpodcast.com to submit your comments and ideas. We'd love to hear from you there. And we hope that the case for connection that we made in this episode was clear and compelling. Thank you so much for listening. Stay connected. Thanks for connecting with us and listening to the Case for Connection podcast. This podcast is presented by LessLonely.com, the world's premier resource for reducing loneliness and strengthening human connections. Do you want to measure how connected you are to others and get research-based results and recommendations to improve your connections? Take the free two-minute loneliness self-assessment at LessLonely.com test. Additionally, follow Ryan and Stephen's latest connection research and tips on all social platforms at Ryan and Stephen. And finally, please subscribe and follow so you don't miss future episodes and provide a review and rating so others can discover the show. Thanks again and stay connected.